0: Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Wednesday so far. Halfway through the week, we're almost to the weekend, so hopefully everyone's gearing up for that. A bunch of stuff to talk about on the podcast today. It's been a wild one so far. We're going to be talking about the new trailer for the new Nicolas Cage film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Florence Pugh is potentially in talks for or a major, major role in a blockbuster franchise that's not in, of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm also going to be talking about the Batman box office, not really necessarily the full box office recap, but just talking about the big weekend that the Batman had to start off its run. But usually when I start off my first podcast of the week, since I didn't have one on Monday or Tuesday, again, I usually tend to start with the box office, and I'll maybe you're wondering, well, Sam, why aren't you doing that right now? Well, that's because there's a news story that triumphs over the box office right now, and any other news story that's going on. And that, of course, is everything that came out today for Obi-Wan Kenobi. We've been waiting, fans of Star Wars or just fans that have been waiting for this project have been looking, craving for details on Obi-Wan Kenobi that set to debut on May 25th on Disney+. Plus. We've been wondering when we're going to be getting details, exclusive photos, our very first trailer. Well, all of that came today and so much more as at around 1, the Eastern Standard Time, we got our official first Teaser, official trailer, whatever you want to call it, we finally got our first look at some footage on Obi-Wan Kenobi. After seeing the the lineup that we were going to get from Ewan McGregor returning to the role, to Hayden Christensen returning as both Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader, to wanting to see this character after Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, where he is between Episode Three and Episode Four, we wanted all of this, and we finally got it. And we wanted to see what this, what are we going to get with this? And Deborah Chow. Chath- who's directing all six episodes of this limited series she did a great job on mandalorian of season one on both of her episodes what are we going to be getting with this show and it delivered in spades this was a phenomenal trailer for obi-wan kenobi a great kind of kickstart to this campaign to get people anticipated about this show and a lot of people on on Twitter and social media have been talking about this, a lot of the fans have been reacting to it, and I have to agree with them, I really, I think and believe that this is probably the best trailer for Star Wars property that we have gotten since the Star Wars Celebration trailer, maybe the final trailer for Star Wars The the, the Force Awakens back in 2015. This had everything that I think fans wanted to see. You got your looks at what Obi-Wan Kenobi looks like 10 years. After everything that went on in Revenge of the Sith, where basically all the Jedi have been exterminated. You have Jedi that are that are left in different pockets of the galaxy on the run. The the Empire is taken over fully in the galaxy. You have the Empire hunting Jedi. We get all of that in this trailer. And one of the big things that is That has been going on really in the era of Star Wars that we're in right now is taking a lot of stuff from the animated shows and turning them into live action. We officially get, for the first time in live action, the appearance of the Inquisitors, which if you've seen shows such as Star Wars Rebels and video games like Jedi Fallen Order of Star Wars, we have seen what these Inquisitors are, which are kind of the commanders and soldiers that specifically hunt down Jedi, and we get our first live action. And look at them. We get our look at the Grand Inquisitor, which if you watch Star Wars Rebels, he was voiced by Jason Isaacs in the first season of that show, and we get our first look of him in this, and he looks really cool. You get to see kind of the full facial look of him. He sounds awesome. It seems like he's going to be reportedly played by Rupert Friend, but there's a lot of prosthetics and makeup that I can't really tell who's playing him and I can't tell from the voice distinction. So if it is him, he looks great and awesome. And I'm 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 a big fan of Rupert Friend's work in the past. And seeing the look of the Grand Inquisitor very much reminded me of kind of the the prosthetics that were used earlier this year when the book of Boba Fett came out with Cad Bane. I love the older look that they give him. And with someone like the, the Grand Inquisitor, since this is a prequel to even Star Wars Rebels, he's going to look a little bit younger than we see him in that first season. So he's still, again, somebody who is very much probably in his prime. And, again, the Empire is 10 years into their reign on the galaxy. So this is, again, the Inquisitor, still a very big full force in the galaxy. And one of the other interesting aspects about this trailer that was really heavily shown, both in this and also I forgot to mention, before we even got the trailer, we got our, our first photos and look at Entertainment Weekly. Which, for their final print version of their stand of their magazine before they go full digital, they gave us our first photos and first details about Obi-Wan Kenobi before we got the trailer. So both the trailer and the photos that we got today were very heavily featured on who Moses Ingram's character is, which is now titled Reva, who is this force-sensitive grand inquisitor. And she is again one of the main people that we're gonna be getting, and probably our main conduit into the Inquisitors when hunting down potentially Obi-Wan Kenobi and probably playing this cat and mouse game with him and hunting down other Jedi throughout this show and if you know Moses Ingram her she's very well known for the role that she played in the Queen's Gambit and seeing the photos and seeing it in the actual trailer she looks fierce and badass and terrifying I loved what we could potentially get with her character I know there was a lot of questions before we realized who she was playing that she was going to be some kind of force sensitive character whether it was on the light or dark we now know that it's going to be on the dark side of the force and along with that intimidating look and kind of the darker tones that we're going to be getting in the show there's a scene in particular where it seems like they hang an actual Jedi, potentially. I mean, we don't get an actual look, but we see the, the, the feet of, of a certain person. And usually when you do a shot like that, it's an indication that someone was hung. And it seems like, again, it's going to be showcasing the Empire in their big grand way as they're kind of enforcing things. And the, the, the Inquisitors are some of those soldiers that are going to be using that as intimidation. And they're hunting down these Jedi. And, and I think, again, kind of going into the... The, the areas that George Lucas was looking at in history, such as World War II and drawing inspiration from the Empire, like with Nazi Germany, I can very much see that being similar situations where certain groups of people were hunt down in World War II. I could see that happening in this show as well, where it's really focusing on the Jedi and the remnants of the Jedi being hunted down to fully exterminate this group of people that the Empire feels is a threat to them. So those World War II comparisons are still going on even in this show. And I hope they lean into that a little bit more and, and can draw from that. And, and I think, again, when we correlate to what made Star Wars so great was drawing from those comparisons of World War II and showing the, the rebellion and trying to take down the, the empire and drawing from those comparisons like John Favreau and Dave Filoni do in The Mandalorian, where it's very much taking from the Western tropes and the samurai. I think very much that those tropes of what Lucas drew inspiration from from World War II will be utilized in this show somehow, in some way. And along with those looks, we also got a big indication of Uncle Owen, who is going to be reply, reprised again by Joel Edgerton, who, when you look back at 2005, 2002, that was the earliest incarnation that I could see from Joel Edgerton when we talk about the career that he's had since episode two and three of the prequel trilogy. And one of the big things I think asking about in this in this show is how much is going to be featured of the Larsons and of Luke Skywalker. Because the whole reason for why Obi-Wan is on Tatooine is to look over Luke and make sure that no harm comes to him as he is seen as potentially one of the last hopes or the last hope for the Jedi and for what was known as the Republic and the future of the galaxy in defiance of the Empire. And so I always wondered, is it just going to be a quick cameo? Is it going to be maybe... An episode or two, and judging by this trailer, at least it's going to be very heavily featured in this show. And it's great to to have a, an actor of his caliber in where he's at right now, back in this role. And especially if the if the Inquisitors are hunting down Jedi. What is Owen's role in that in terms of making sure that nobody knows where Luke is? Do he and Obi-Wan have any kind of interaction together? Because if you go back to even episode four, it seems like Owen, Larson, and even Aunt Peru have an idea of who at least Ben Kenobi is. So maybe they know about his past as they certainly do since Obi-Wan handed them off, Luke off to them at the end of three. But do they interact with him more throughout that span of time? So I'm very interested to see how that all comes together And one of the things that Deborah Chow says when talking to Entertainment Weekly, she thanks George Lucas for casting a young Joel Edgerton at the time frame. And it seems like, again, this guy is crazy talented and has done that over the years. So I'm sure Deborah Chow was really impressed by having a big presence like that on on set and in watching and seeing in the trailer, the footage. It's great to see that even with Obi Wan defeated, and, and going into the details again about Entertainment Weekly, and this is something that I think a lot of fans were expecting, was that in the ten years, Obi Wan's been in isolation. He he's somebody who is without, even though he's he has a purpose of looking after Luke. That's all he has left really. He's damaged. He's he had, probably has PTSD from everything that went on with Anakin. There, there's just it's a different kind of Obi Wan that we saw in the prequel trilogy, and you see that in the... the... Um, The the clothes that he wears, the wardrobe, where he still has the robe, but he doesn't have those Jedi garments anymore. Like, even when we see in A New Hope, it's very much somebody who's trying to stay hidden and under the radar. And you hear that at the beginning of the trailer where Obi-Wan is even saying that the the fighting is done. There's nothing to really go for anymore. It's just this is a man without really any kind of strong semblance of a purpose outside of the main overall task that he seems to be doing on a day-to-day basis in which he's still watching over this person. And it's really even cool cool to see a young Luke Skywalker where it very much looks like a young Anakin like we see in a Phantom Menace. And I, I'm very curious to see if we go back to things that go on in episode one, maybe, or even something that go back a little bit a little bit ahead of after episode one with a young Anakin Skywalker before Hayden Christensen. So there's a lot of possibilities that even come with this this trailer, and I'm gonna save talking about Darth Vader for the end. But we don't see a lot of Hayden Christensen in here, and flashbacks, or as Darth Vader at all. But we do get a look at a brand new planet that was also described in the article, in the details that came out earlier this morning of the new planet Dayu. And according to one of the writers on the show, Joby Harold, he says that it has some kind of a, a, a sort of Hong Kong feeling to it, and then it has kind of the a, a nightlife and some greedy uh, graffiti and it's very edgy and he also says quote it's a different lane and a different feeling and we get some glimpses of that in the trailer and very much you see that the neon lights it has that 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 Hong Kong Japan style kind of feeling to it and it very much also reminds me of of Coruscant a little bit not saying that it is that planet but it it has remnants of that kind of nightlife that that we also got to see in the prequels as well and I know a lot of people might be complaining that this thing's gonna be taking place on Tatooine just as much as Book of Boba Fett did. But it does seem like we're gonna be going off world in a whole bunch of other places. It seems like we're gonna be visiting this grand castle that the Inquisitors seem to be holding up in on on kind of like a waterfront that looks really, really cool. So it seems like this is very much gonna be a globe galaxy trotting adventure that we're gonna be going off on multiple different areas. And it wouldn't be surprising to me if this is a lot of this footage not all of it, but a lot of it is probably from maybe the first episode, maybe even the second one, but definitely maybe a lot of it is from the premiere where that's going to be establishing the story, setting up where we're going to go. And then in episode two, we're probably going to be heading off world from there. But I can understand why you would want to start off on Tatooine since Obi-Wan is there and then he's going to have to end the show by going back on Tatooine in some way, shape or form. So I love the planet it looked great. But the big thing that I think a lot of people were hyped out about when watching it that I think gave it a bigger feeling than maybe if any other trailer music was put in – is the fact that Duel of Fates was in the trailer in some kind of fashion. Very much is a a hook and a nod to the prequel trilogy where Ewan McGregor comes from and, and how Obi-Wan got to where he is now. It's one of the more iconic scores, I think, of all time, pieces of music in movie history, definitely within the Star Wars franchise. And the way that it played, it made it epic and, and grand in scale that we're going to be getting something cool and awesome. So I love that. I think it really I think gravitated people towards watching it in a way that when you put trailer music in it definitely can change the per, the the perception of of a trailer and the way that you react to it and very much Duel of the fates did that as well and also the very end where we don't it, it we, we don't get a big flashy shot at the very end. It very much ends with just Obi-Wan looking out. Maybe he's grabbing his lightsaber. It's signaling that even in this dark kind of trailer, there is hope at the very end of it. And then we end on the tile card of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it does have Vader's voice his breathing in the background, and we also transitioning away from Duel of Fates, get a little bit of the episode three score where Anakin is killing off all the separatists. We get that kind of score at the very end, some of the Battle of Mostafar, so it's all kind of tying in these different eras of Star Wars into this one show, and it's absolutely incredible, and I love the fact also that we don't get any Vader in this, and it very much reminds me of the marketing that Rogue One did, where Darth Vader was going to appear in it, and I think Vader's going to have a a bigger role to play in this show than even Rogue One, even though he has a standout memorable role in that movie, I think there's going to be a lot more for him to do in this, especially when you're bringing back... Hayden Christensen, but you didn't rely on having him in there. You relied on the Inquisitors and these new characters and these new worlds. And Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi since he's the character that we're going to be following from the beginning to the end of this show. And Darth Vader is going to be popping up In different places and we get that or at least two or one epic lightsaber fight sequence with him in it but you you don't need to rely on it you just need that ominous music that breathing that he is a part of this story you can't tell the story without Anakin without Darth Vader in some kind of a fashion but you didn't need to rely heavily on putting him in the trailer so I don't know if we're going to see him in further marketing I'm sure we'll get a glimpse of him but and maybe that duel because you want to get people even more excited than they probably even are for this show, but I think from the, this very first trailer, after all the hype and excitement and anticipation and wanting to see what this was going to be about, we didn't get any kind of first looks before today or any hints other than a poster that still was very much a teaser poster, didn't give anything away, and still they delivered in, in spades on this trailer. I loved it. I think this certainly brings it to a level that I didn't think it could even get to, but it very much seems like this is going to be the biggest thing that Disney Plus has brought to their service in its two plus year history that it's been out since 2019. I mean, sure we've had great Marvel shows like WandaVision, Loki, Falcon the Winter Soldier, and we've had Mandalorian and, and that's become a pop cultural phenomenon when it was on air, but it doesn't it didn't have the hype and anticipation that this that this show does before it even releases this is on the level of a major movie event like a force awakens or a big MCU level event then this is what that is for Disney plus i would be shocked if we don't see services crashing or people aren't able to log on when the first episode drops on may 25th i think this is going to be really really big for them i don't think anything even comes close to this year of what's going to d- drop on disney plus other other than maybe Mandalorian season three, but I don't even think that is going to eclipse the hype and anticipation for this this show. And, the, and and the fact that they're dropping it on May 25th, the 45th anniversary when Star Wars A New Hope came out, which is a beautiful way of kind of, again, tying it into this one central character that spans almost all. All of Star Wars throughout multiple generations, from what Alec Guinness did in A New Hope to what Ewan McGregor has done in the prequel trilogy, it transcends all, all ages that have grown up with this character for so many years, and we're finally getting... His own story from an actor who did a great job in a prequel trilogy that definitely had its issues, but one of the main bright spots from the episode one to episode three was Ewan McGregor. So I, I cannot wait for this. I also want to give a shout out to the Entertainment Weekly cover story, which is, is a huge momentous occasion for them because this Obi-Wan. Article: this cover that they did is the final cover that Entertainment Weekly and Magazine that they will be putting out before going all digital moving forward. And, and which is, again, it's a full circle moment because the, the prequel trilogies were one of the first few Entertainment Weekly covers to come out. One of the first Star Wars covers did feature Ewan McGregor on there. So this is really kind of a full circle moment for them. And they came out on, on, on the site, the EW site, with a really cool kind of photo gallery of all the star wars covers they've done throughout their run for the last two decades really since the early early to mid 90s and it's about 40 to 41 covers if you don't include all the multiple character covers that come with each one like when the the mandalorian had one they had one of the child and of mando or i remember when rise of skywalker came out They had three separate covers of the prequel, sequel, and original trilogy. Those don't count in terms of the ones that have strictly come out in terms of all of them in one setting. It's about it's about 40 to 41 covers, which is remarkable. And I think again, it's a full circle moment for Entertainment Weekly. And for this show, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I cannot wait for it. I think it's gonna be the big show of the summer since it is coming out around Memorial Day weekend, and that's going to be a huge weekend in and of itself, where we have the first part of season four of Stranger Things. We have Top Gun Maverick. We have the Bob's Burger movie. There's so much stuff coming out that weekend that Obi-Wan, I think, is going to be the big one that people are talking about. Even though it's going to premiere on a Wednesday, it's going to be the one that is going to, I think, receive the most buzz in the end. So a great day to be a Star Wars fan today. They finally got, I think, what a lot of people wanted, which was a great, insane, awesome First look at Obi-Wan Kenobi from details to photos to a trailer. I think it all came in spades today, and it's going to be the thing that a lot of people talk about in the next couple of days. So, what did you guys think about the trailer for Obi-Wan Kenobi? there was there anything that I missed that you thought wanted to point out that maybe you thought was really interesting and, and you can't wait to see in in the show? What are you looking forward to seeing the show? What do you think of the trailer, the posters, or not the poster but the pictures? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave. Your thoughts. Now to transition from one franchise to another one that had a major, major opening weekend this past weekend. That of course is the Batman. And again, usually I'll do my annual box office recap, but really the only big big bit the big news to come out from the box office this weekend, of course, was the batman's performance so we're just really going to primarily focus on the way that it opened this weekend and it, it, the news didn't stop until monday where the batman did huge huge numbers and we're talking about not spider-man no way home numbers where it made 260 million dollars but for for a dc movie that coming off of the suicide squad which didn't do really well not really connected to the dceu where you have shows and movies like peacemaker and wonder woman and Aquaman and The Flash, all seemingly going to be connecting together, this is something that was completely on its own. It was a long time in the making. Were people going to see this film? And it seems like people did that. And a whole lot more as according to all the reports, the Batman did $134 million over the three day span. And the incredible thing about the the actual numbers themselves were that usually on Sundays when the box office reports come out, those are usually the estimates that are usually given to us. And then Monday are the actual solid numbers that come out after they're able to officially aggregate what the Sunday numbers were. And usually, the, 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 from Sunday to Monday, it, it's not really a huge bump, so people just kind of take the estimates on Mondays when doing the recap, and it, it might bump up to a million or two more, but nothing insanely tra- drastic for the most part. That wasn't the case with the Batman, as it was reported on Sunday... That the film made 128 and a half million dollars its opening weekend, which is still great no matter which way you slice it or diced it. But on Monday, the reports changed when the actuals came in and they were drastically different than what the estimates were. As it wasn't just a million or two, it was about around four to five, even a little bit more of a few million dollars than the actual the estimated numbers came in to be. So the Batman actually made again 134 million dollars. And again, whether it was 128 and a half or 134 it was still going to be the biggest opening of this year so far and when you adjust the sunday numbers on sunday the film made around 34 million dollars so people were coming out to see this film whether it was dark and brooding or more more adult than some of the other dc films or even comic book movies that have come out in recent years it it, it it was a three hour runtime. Uh, still after all of that it still made it one of the highest grossing DC films of all time for its opening weekend. When you look at the highest grossing DC openings in general, it is the third highest grossing DC opening of all time when you take into account that it's only behind or really what's in front of it is Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice which still has the highest grossing opening weekend of any of the recent DC DC films to come out with $166 million the, the first Suicide Squad film in 2016 made $133.6 million and real, really after all of that Batman was able to eclipse that with $134 million so now it's the second highest grossing DC opening of all time and then it's Suicide Squad and then and it's Man of Steel, $116 million. And then the first Wonder Woman film in 2017 with $103 million. And then coming in when you just talk about Batman openings in general, from the, the history that comes with that franchise just alone, it is the third biggest solo Batman opening of all time. It was able to eclipse over or it was actually the fourth highest grossing batman opening of all time when you look at the numbers that came into it it's it wasn't able to gross more than the dark knight which came in still at 158 million dollars it wasn't able to gross more than dark knight rises which is at 160 million and then of course when you take into account the dcu Batman v Superman is still the highest grossing opening for the Batman character at $166 million. But again, it could be the fourth highest grossing solo Batman opening showcases that even with those movies, people still wanted to go see the film. And then when you look at March, over the last decade or so, March has really become a big time opening for these major blockbusters. And with Batman, the the Batman, it is now the... Fourth highest grossing March weekend opening of all time actually it's actually the fifth one when you take it all into account the hungry games is still at number four with 152 and a half dollars coming out at number three was captain marvel with 153.4 bvs batman versus superman donna justice was at 166 and then beauty and the beast in 2017 the live action adaptation is still the highest grossing opening march weekend of all time at 174 million dollars but still uh, a great opening for for the batman on on that front and then when you look at warner brothers it is their highest grossing movie overall since march of 2020 when you had godzilla versus kong come out and their overall domestic intake for godzilla vs kong when the pandemic was still very much at its peak in the spring of last year that 100 million dollars in north america and then dune which came out in october which again people were still a little hesitant to go out to the movies it was a big blockbuster people didn't know a whole lot about it right now it is aggregated around a 109 million dollars in North in its overall North American intake, and the Batman eclipses both of those in really kind of one weekend. Right now, it has 144 million dollars domestically in its worldwide overall intake. For the Batman, at this particular moment in time, is at around 269 million dollars. Probably after this weekend, depending on what happens, it will most likely cross over 300 million dollars. Also, speaking of 100 million dollars, it is for the Batman and for Warner Brothers, the first opening weekend that a film has crossed a hundred million dollars since it in 2017 again that's for warner brothers not when we talk about the pandemic era that is still that that highest grossing still belongs of course to spider-man no way home But still a great accomplishment. And then this, of course, for when we talk about some of the individuals that are associated with this project, how to help them give a big boost for future projects down the line. For Matt Reeves, this is his biggest opening of all time. The only one that comes closest to it is his 2014 make of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which to me is... Probably I again I still have to go see Batman another time, but to me is still my favorite movie of his. When we talk about Matt Reeves's filmography, I love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and that was really I think what kind of put him on the map to make these kinds of films down the line. It grossed seventy three million dollars in its domestic opening weekend, and then one hundred and four point three million dollars worldwide for that for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and then for Robert Pattinson, this is his first one hundred million dollar film since the final Twilight film, Breaking Dawn part 2 so for both of the man behind the scenes and in front of the camera this is a big career making moment for both of them for matt reeves again i think this puts him in the upper echelon of directors that studios are one are going to want to make films with. This is going to put Warner Brothers in the spot of making sure that they retain Matt Reeves for the future of this franchise, whether it's in spinoff shows or for the rest of the, the trilogy that they want him to do in the future. It's a big, big win for him. And for Robert Pattinson, again, I think this is great validation for for him when it comes to everything to go with, with Twilight Boy and, oh, is he really actually can he be a movie star can he do these kinds of movies and again if you're somebody who's watched his indie films in the last five to six years from good time to what he was able to do in the devil knows all the time and just just, just a of the lighthouse this guy is somebody who can act and and i think that showcased and again when you do these high profile films people are able to see what you what you have done and and for robert pattinson he's he has evolved from that and i'm very happy for him and i can't wait to see what else he does and future projects down the line but again this is a again a huge weekend for this movie and what it was able to do and now the big question of course is going to come of what is it going to do in its subsequent weekends to follow again there's nothing coming out for the rest of march until the last weekend of the month when The Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum comes out. Again, I'm not saying that film's going to be making $70, 80000000 million, but at that time, at the end of March, The Batman is probably going to be in the 30s, 20s of what it's going to be able to grow. So at that point, The Lost City could be able to overtake it. And then, of course, the following weekend after that, you have the latest from Sony and Marvel in Morbius finally coming out on April 1st. So that's really the next time that the Batman has any kind of competition. It has really free reign for the rest of the month to really kind of do damage and to see what kind of intake it's able to do now again, can it have legs? Is it going to have a big weekend drop this, this time around? Did everyone that really wanted to go see it, see it this past weekend, and especially with the runtime, are they really going to want to sit through the film again? So those are some of the questions that are really going to be coming into play with the Batman. And I think another big question to come in the future, in the next month or so, is can this movie be the first one to gross a billion dollars since Spider-Man No Way Home? And that's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tall task. It doesn't, I think, have the same kind of four-quadrant appeal that... Spider Man did, and it doesn't have that same kind of fanfare that No Way Home did, where you have all the Spider Man come together, you have all these villains from the past. It, it doesn't really have that. It's telling very much a new neo noir, straight lace kind of story that doesn't really have any connections to any other known universe out there and connect to any other characters like a Superman or a Wonder Woman. It doesn't do that. It just tells the singular Batman story. So it, I'm very curious to see what it's going to do, but. Nonetheless, this is a huge win for this film with its $269 million worldwide. If it's able to do damage in the next few weeks, I think it's gonna be able to make back its budget and a little bit more. So again, this is a great start for DC. It's a great start for Warner Brothers, especially for WB after coming out of 2021 from controversy with the day-and-date release of HBO Max to theaters and coming out right out of the gate with their first major motion picture of the year. They make over a hundred million. dollars, I think it's a great sign that, again, if you want to go see a movie in theaters, you will go see a movie in theaters. And this is just the latest example of it. And it's just another step towards recovering for the pandemic. And I know a lot of people are making out about the, the price hikes right now. Did that make a difference? Maybe a little bit, but is that going to be the norm going forward? I'm not really sure, but it seems like AMC, again, did a a, a calculated business move that seems like it worked and it didn't deter a lot of people away from seeing this movie so we'll see what other films are going to associate that with moving forward but again overall i'm very happy for this film for its performance congratulations to both the cast and the crew for what they were able to do with the batman and the performance of the box office indicates that a lot of people did enjoy this film as well along with its a minus cinema score that it got over the weekend which i was actually very surprised about that as well i thought maybe it would get a b plus but getting an a minus is a very good sign of how much people actually did enjoy this film over So what do you guys think about the performance for the Batman this past opening weekend? What do you think it's going to do in its future run in the weekends to follow? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now, moving on to another bit of movie news that came out a few hours ago, along with the release of the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. And the reason I think that Both these things, both these articles happened, and I'll talk about the the, the second one in just a minute, but there was a Disney shareholders call that happened today, and it's kind of like the one that happened in 2020 where we got the slew of announcements that happened where we got kind of the, the future of what Disney Plus is gonna be for the next couple of years, and it wasn't as crazy as that, even though we got some cool news and exciting trailers, but we did get a few indications for some things going on in the future, and one of those was the first look at the one of the latest from Disney Plus, and that is going to be a live action adaptation of the Disney animated classic Pinocchio. And this has been a film that has been in the works for a long, long time. There's actually been multiple kind of Pinocchio projects in the works. I know there's this one from Disney, but there was another one that was set to star Robert Downey Jr., or this might have been the one. There's been so many that's been in long development, but I don't know if it was this one or another one where Robert Downey Jr was going to be Geppetto, but then that one either he either fell out of that one or or the movie project was canceled completely, or it could have been this one where it was it was going to be Zemeckis and Downey Jr., but then Downey Jr. maybe dropped out and then they brought in Tom Hanks to play the role. But regardless, this project is finally happening. It is going to be coming out this year. It was announced that sometime in September of 2022, this film would be debuting on Disney Plus for people to see, and we got our first picture of Tom Hanks as Geppetto, and he looks exactly how you would. He's got the curly hair. He looks like an, an, a know-all kind of, uh, of of genius and mechanic, and, and it seems like he's really going to fit in this role just from the picture that I was able to see, but the thing that really stuck out to me was the look of the puppet of Pinocchio, and I think one of the big questions about this is, in a day and age where we're able to do motion capture and things are able to look a lot more real that shouldn't be real how are they going to pull this off where this puppet this wooden puppet comes to life and is able to interact with people and surroundings within and make it seem real and legit so i'm very curious about that and they pretty much got the the style and design of pinocchio from the animated movie to live action really really well so i'm very curious and interested to see how all that is able to come to life on the screen and and I'm really really curious about that and I think it was actually smart that Disney Plus is the home for this movie because I think one of the things that Disney ran into when doing these live action retellings is that when you when you dive into the vault and really go with a lot of the older movies like a like a Dumbo or a Pinocchio or even something like a Peter Pan even though people love those animated films they're not as well known as the the renaissance movies like little mermaid aladdin beauty and the beast where specifically the last two movies aladdin and beauty and the beast made over a billion dollars at the box office and there's a lot of anticipation for what the little mermaid is going to be doing next year when it's released finally in theaters but these other kind of movies don't really have that kind of hype don't have that kind of i think luster on them so i think it makes sense that instead of putting all this money into theaters and then having it potentially bomb you put it on disney I think people will be more adapted to watching this on streaming when they see the name Pinocchio and it's 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 Tom Hanks in the role they'd probably be more inclined to just watching it at on their couch and I think to gain more subscribers to gain more eyeballs onto your streaming service this is the right way to go when you have these kinds of stars so I think this is a smart move on their part and when you look at the cast of Pinocchio it is a stacked one from just take away Tom Hanks who is already a big name to put into a movie like this you also have Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's going to be playing Jiminy Cricket. That's another thing I'm very interested to see. What is Jiminy Cricket going to look like in live action form? You have Cynthia Revo going to be playing the fairy, the blue fairy. You have Keegan-Michael Key going to, that's going to be in this. You're going to have Luke Evans. You're going to be having Lorraine Bracco in this. There's, it's a stacked, stacked cast for a movie like this, and, and I'm very interested to see what Robert is is going to do with this film because really he's somebody that could either he's hit or miss and when he's hitting it's great hitting when he's not hitting sometimes it can be a little shaky so I'm hoping this is more on the side of being able to hit and laser it right down the line and deliver something really really good so we'll see where this goes but for a first look to know that this is actually be coming out this year it gets me interested to see what a trailer looks like how all this is going to really kind of formulate together off of just seeing still pictures so we'll see where goes, but September is the release month for Pinocchio on Disney Plus right now. And then speaking of trailers, there was only one big trending trailer that came out today that I wanted to get into, and it's the the latest trailer for the Nicolas Cage film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And this is actually a trailer... That I saw in theaters when I went to go see the Batman, and this was kind of a more extended look at that. Where some of the scene, there were some scenes that were added into this one that weren't in the 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 trailer that I saw in theaters. But overall, it I'm so surprised by this movie and how it looks because I remember again I said this when I saw the first trailer and I'll say it again I remember when I heard about this film and knowing who Nicolas Cage is and he does wacky goofy movies nowadays I'm just thinking to myself this is this is gonna be crazy but it's got great people in there what are they doing what's this movie gonna look like is it gonna be as goofy as some of his other indie films but watching the trailer it looks like an absolute blast. I love the general story that they're going with where Pedro Pascal is playing this kind of drug kingpin. it seems like, but then the U.S. government wants to take him out, and then they bring in Nicolas Cage, who has no... No secret agent business whatsoever, and and he doesn't he shouldn't be doing this stuff, but he is. It's like a spy thriller mixed in with with an action comedy. It was n- unlike anything that I was expecting for this film, but it looks like a lot of fun. Nicolas Cage seems like like to be having a time. So does Pedro Pascal and Tiffany Haddish. It, it just looks like an absolute blast, and so I'm really really looking forward to this. This trailer just continue to, and it, it j- just kind of gravitate towards me and really just kind of in, like, give me anticipation for the. This movie, but So it's coming out on April 22nd, so it's only a little more than a month away, but it looks bonkers and insane, and I cannot wait to see this one in theaters. And then the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about on the podcast today is to talk about a really exciting story that I found out about yesterday from The Hollywood Reporter – and it's being talked about that Florence Pugh, Academy Award nominee Florence Pugh and Marvel MCU mainstay Florence Pugh is going to be potentially joining another universe, specifically the Denny Villeneuve world of Arrakis in Dune. And she is right now reportedly in talks to join Dune Part 2. And in, apparently, according to the, to the report, she could be joining as princess uran who is going to be the daughter of the emperor who is going to be another main character that we heard about if you watch the first dune film the emperor is very much a prominent part but he's more in the background and so they're going to be casting for that character to be a more prominent part in part two so there's some big casting announcements that are going to be happening for the second part probably in the next couple of months but this is probably the potentially the first domino to fall however there is a little caveat that's going to be happening, and it showcases it in the THR, the Hollywood Reporter Report, of how much in demand Florence Pugh is, is in currently at the moment in time where everyone wants to work with her. And according to this, this article, there could be a little bit of a snag, and this is what they had to say several obstacles remain however for any deal the script is still being written and thus the actress is said to be waiting for the latest draft also scheduling poses another hurdle legendary is hoping to begin shooting this summer but pew is also in contention for the madonna biopic and it is unclear when that would go should she nab that lead role so uh, again, I think for any performer, any actor, this is the kind of problem that you want to have where you're being vied for so many different projects. And Florence Pugh deserves that, especially coming off of what she did in 2019. I always thought she'd become this big star and in going into a major blockbuster franchise like the MCU with Black Widow and Hawkeye and then doing incredible work in films like Midsummer and Fighting With My Family, Little Women. It it, it, it shows the versatility that she's able to do and she can be a movie star. And, and I think... That, that's being shown in the kind of directors that are really looking to work with her and the projects the studios are looking for her to work in. I think she would be great in the Madonna biopic, and I remember hearing about that last week. But selfishly, I would much rather her see her be in Dune Part 2. I think she could play this, this princess role really, really well. I think she would fit in so well with what Denny Villeneuve wants to do. I would love to see her interact with superstars like Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya and Rebecca Ferguson and Skarsgard and Dave Batista. It would just be great to see her interact with all those people and just be able to showcase all of that range within herself and have that kind of go against some of these other great performers would be awesome. So I would just selfishly would love to see her be in that role. However, this seems more like a potential supporting role than anything else. And if it comes down to doing Madonna or Dune Part Two, depending on what happens, maybe depending on what the script is, I couldn't blame her if she did the Madonna the the, the Madonna film because when you look at Florence Pugh's trajectory so far, even though she's been in some great stuff, the only thing she's really been leading in. Is Midsummer, which is a phenomenal film, and she does a great job, but not a lot of people have seen that film. And a lot of the other stuff that she's done from Little Women, Black Widow, Black Widow, she's more of a co-star and then the lead, like Scarlett Johansson is the lead of Black Widow and Saoirse Ronan, and it's more of an ensemble for Little Women. She really hasn't had something where she is the clear star. And so I think if she does Doom Part 2, she'd be great, but that's more of a supporting. Whereas with Madonna, that's the kind of stuff that gets you more leading roles down the line. If she kills it, like I know she potentially will, if she gets that role, again, she has not gone and yet she's still there's still she's auditioning for it there's still a process that's going on for that role to be casted but if she were to get it i can't i can't knock her for going up against that that could lead to potential awards runs for her again that could if it's a big box office success she could be a big star that gets more leading roles down the line so either way she goes i think she'd be great and it could lead to great opportunities down the road but it's understandable where more, one might lead to more prosperity down the line than the other where that could be a Fun time, and you get to work with an incredible cast, and go on locations, and work with Denny Villeneuve. That would be great. But I can understand if, if the. if the madonna role if she's offered it if she takes it is it might be too enticing to pass up at this stage right now where that could really really change the tra- trajectory in a positive way for her career and then also going to some of the other reporting that was done about dune it sounds like very much warner brothers and legendary themselves want to get the ball rolling on this film and they were also talking about because of everything going on in the war ukraine right now which this podcast and the ambiguous podcast solutions are, are offer support and and thoughts and prayers of what's going on over there, it's also the locations of where they're able to shoot and sometimes in those areas they were shooting in some European countries it might not be the safest place to shoot in those areas right about now so it seems like they're still working some things out but the positive thing is that this is very much a reality and I think for dude fans whether they get Florence Pugh or not it showcases that they're very much in the the, the, the stage of pre-production where they're casting all these new roles getting everybody set and ready to go doing all the pre-vis and the concept start and getting ready to shoot locations again into production on this film to get ready for October 10th of 2023. So this is very much reality. It is happening. It wasn't just a, we'll announce the date, we'll announce it's happening, and then we'll have to wait a little bit more for it. No, this is, this is legitimately happening, and this is one of the first steps to happen. Whether it happens or not is another thing, but the fact that, that there are talks for these roles and that they're casting for them showcases that they're very much ramping up to get this film out there you okay. What do you guys think about the potential of Florence Pugh joining the Dune franchise if she does sign? Again, it's not confirmed that she is officially signing on. She is in talks for it, and usually, sometimes when it comes to these talks, usually it means that they're pretty much signed. It's just about signing the the, the dotted lines. But it sounds like this is going to be a little bit more complicated, and and there's that there's other variables involved here, not just waiting to get everything kind of finalized. This is probably this this includes multiple other projects that could. Very much affect the outcome of what's happening here. So, again, it's just talks. It's not confirmed that she's a part of it. But if she is a part of it, what would you guys think about it? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to do on the Sam Bessel podcast today, as I like to do, whether it's my first podcast during the midweek or if I start off with a second podcast during the week, whatever, usually on a Wednesday or Thursday. I love to do my weekend preview. What's set to come out this weekend for people to check out? And in theaters, there's pretty not much nothing really coming out in theaters this weekend. It's still the Batman. No studio wants to touch it right now, especially in its second weekend, coming off of, of an impressive start to its opening. Instead, a lot of the the eyeballs, if you want new stuff to come out for, if you've already seen the Batman once, twice, three, five, ten times, you can check out the streaming services, which are coming out with some big films over the weekend the first one that I want to look at is one that I actually saw last week and that is the latest from Disney Pixar and that of course is Turning Red and this is a film that stars Sandra Oh it's directed by the animated director who did the short Pixar film Bao a few years ago which was a delightful little short from the studio and she is in her first feature directorial debut in this film and I really enjoyed the, the trailers that came out for it it's basically a out this young teenager who wants to do everything, impress her family. And then one day she turns into this big red panda and she can kind of control it by using her emotions. If she has a lot of anxiety or is, is 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 very angry or passionate, she can turn into this red panda. So she has to calm her emotions and control herself if she wants to stay as in her normal human form. And so I enjoyed the trailers that came out for this film and, and watching the movie, I would very much highly recommend it, especially on Disney+. Plus. I think this is for all family members i mean it 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 deals with teen anxiety i think this deal this is a very kind of mature film for a pixar film that appeals to a lot of different demographics i think for teenagers this is a really good film for them i think they can get some enjoyment out of it for the younger audience i think there's a lot of fun elements to enjoy as well for adults i think they can get some cracks at some of the more adult humor that goes on in the film I also think that when you talk about culture, again, diversity and inclusion, there's a great look at the 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 culture of, 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 of Asians and, and Asian-Americans. And I think they do a great job in, in showcasing that. And I think that's one of the great things that both Pixar and even Walt Disney Animation Studios have done over the last couple of years have really been inclusive in showcasing a lot of different cultures throughout the world. And this one in on, on Turning Red is no different. The, the cast is great. I really, again, it wasn't, it's not to me, it's not an all-time great Pixar film. I still think it's really, really good. And I think you can get a lot of enjoyment out of it. It didn't bring out that emotion, that Inside Out Toy Story soul not not like those films that I definitely think that even though I didn't get emotional I think I can certainly see why other people definitely would especially when you're dealing with stuff like anxiety or also when you're dealing with, with, with family and, and and being all you can be for your parents and living up to expectations from other people but not living up to your own expectations or what are your expectations as a person so it, it definitely delivers on all those mature themes that Pixar films are known to accomplish while also still being fun and enjoyable At the same exact time. I wish this definitely was in theaters, but I definitely can see it ending up on Disney Plus and could definitely get a lot of eyeballs. It should get a lot of eyeballs on the service as well. Even though, again, I wish this one actually did play in theaters so that they can get that recognition since they did intend for this to be on the big screen. But nonetheless, I think this is definitely one to check out 8.6 out of 10 for me with the film. But overall, I definitely think this is one that when you're, if you're a family member, if you've seen Sing 2 a bunch of times, if you're looking for something new to watch, this is definitely one to check out on the service. And then the other one that's gonna be big for Netflix and what is probably their first big film of the year is the Adam Project, which was written directed by Sean Levy and stars his mainstay at this point in Ryan Reynolds. They both did Free Guy together, which was a huge success. And now they're back with the Adam Project. It also stars Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Gardner, and Zoe Saldana as well. And this was one that for the last couple of weeks I've been hearing some rave reviews about this film and this one to me I've been looking forward to for the last year or so when they were in production it's very much about Ryan Reynolds who is transported or goes back to the past and interacts with his younger self and very much from the trailers invokes kind of E.T. Steven Spielberg sci-fi vibes Lost Boy kind of vibes it has that sensibility to it of wonder and excitement and I've just been hearing rave reviews about this movie from the very beginning since it was first really kind of unveiled for I think press a couple weeks ago and, and I heard some surprising things about this one and it looks enjoyable and so I'm really, really excited to check this one out when it hits Netflix in a couple of days and it seems like one of the brewing great partnerships creatively in this industry after Free Guy and it seems like after The Adam Project is Ryan Reynolds and Sean Levy and Sean Levy is somebody who's directed episodes of Stranger Things so it's really exciting to see him dabble in these kind of realms as well and to see him Work on this is was awesome, and it was also written by Jonathan Troper T. S. Nolan, Jennifer Flackett, and Mark Levin were also the writers for the script, as well. It just looks like a lot of fun, and there's also the 13 Going on 30 reunion between Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo. Even they've been joking about this kind of being a a pseudo-sequel, where they're both married now, they have a kid, and, and all this ensues, so I, I think that I, I like the fact that they've been putting that on the press tour and really kind of getting some enjoyment on reuniting together with one another in that kind of role, so I, I think that looks great. The action looks awesome. The sci-fi elements look really cool, so I'm really looking forward to this, especially after hearing all the great reviews coming out for it. Um, I'm really, really enjoying it. And this could be a great year for Netflix, a start to a great year for the streaming service where they have a lot of great content on the horizon, especially on the film docket. But those are really the, the only two big films that are coming out. Again, not in theaters, but on a streaming service. Again, the Adam Project, which uh, to me, even though I have not seen it yet, that would be my number one on the list. But another one that I have seen that I would highly recommend, especially if you're family looking for a family movie night that's not in theaters, definitely check out Turning Red on Disney+. Plus. Which one are you looking forward to? Is it Turning Red or is it The Adam Project? Or is it both? Or is it none of them whatsoever? Are you just going to go see The Batman again or Spider-Man No Way Home or another movie that's out in theaters right now or not watch anything at all? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts but with that down and out of the way that will do it for this edition of the samba sale podcast once again everyone thank you so much for tuning in be sure to check out my channel for more content you can check me out on spotify apple podcast stitcher radio public soundcloud and much more also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals, Geared Toward Improving Client Relations, Return on Investment, and Customer Acquisition Costs for Independent Businesses and Services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the Podcast Solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzel Mania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at RealAmbiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. Find me on Twitter at Bissell samuel. that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, keep on screening.